Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. We live in a world of conditions. I have emotional needs. We make agreements. It's warm in the sunshine. It's cold when you're wet. These are conditions. The idea of unconditional love has no basis in the reality of conditions. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. In the last episode, I asked you what management might look like when a parent wants their child to put away laundry, a tale as old as time, or at least as old as woven fabric. Because if your parents regularly remind you to do things over and over, you probably become a manager who nags their employees. The nagging from your parent made you resent them at the time. Then later, you nagging your employees causes them to resent you, and so on. Worse than that, When you supervise someone, you're assuming the worst of that person in one way. You're assuming they're not willing or able to change. And the only thing you get in return is the feeling that you're exerting your power on another person. That exertion of control then only breeds more resentment and elicits more childish, resentful behavior. So in the end, supervision, as you can see, is a lose-lose scenario, which is why I'm going to offer you a solution tool you can use to transition from supervision to management, as well as an assignment that will help you contextualize what using this tool can look like in your life. But fair warning, it's likely not going to be easy. This series is an excerpt from a live course I taught called The Art of Self-Management that's now available as an online course. It's free for Clear and Open members. I offer weekly member webcasts, online courses, and mentorship at clearandopen.com because it's my truth that with the right tools, anyone can eliminate the people, money, and time problems holding them back in business. And I share parts of these webcasts and courses on this show because I want to help you too. If you're enjoying the show and learning from it, I'd love your feedback. If you're listening to the show on an Apple device, all you have to do is open the podcast app view the full description of this episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review for the show. Thanks so much for listening. Let's start the show. When we talk to our son, who happens to be 16 now, or our team members for that matter, I often want to start with the why. So I would reverse how, for our parenting style, I would reverse it. And I would start with the fact that you know, there's a point in life where you're going to get to do your laundry on your own and we're not going to be here. Mm-hmm. And this is a skill you're going to need to learn. And so that's the why that you get to do these things. Yep. And and there's also a increasing ratchet of, um, in our family, an increasing level of um, responsibility and autonomy that's giving when you can prove that you're able to accomplish things like this. Yeah. And, and, and directly relate that to them. Like, you know, if you can't do this, then how are you going to, you're going to ask me next year, to go to a party with your buddies and how am I going to, you know, how are we going to do that? If yeah. we don't build this foundation of, of the understanding that we're going to agree it's going to get done and it's going to get done the way we agree. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. If uh, the way I presented it in that little role play, uh, I, I, I put the self-interest too late in the conversation. 
it would be so not that that would have been terrible, but it would have been better for me to appeal to the self interest early on. So it tends to reduce the shaming factor. Um, and you know, you can dial that in however you want, as long as it's in there. But yeah, to appeal to that self interest, this is a win win. But one of the points I want to make about the laundry story is um, what I call meta supervision. And meta supervision is when you name that you're supervising someone with the intention of no longer having to do that. Meta supervision is the bridge from supervision to management. Meta supervision is the, hey, do you notice that I'm having to remind you about this thing and I know you don't like it and I don't like it either? Let's do something about that. That's meta supervision. And that's when you find you're supervising someone, that's usually a key feature of the conversation. Now, this leads to the subject of the art of self-management. The art of self-management would mean you don't need someone to point out that they're supervising you. You see? Because if you need someone to... If someone has a meta-supervision conversation with you, it means you've been asleep at the wheel. If you're really self-managing and you hold personal responsibility and self-agency and self-reliance as values, and someone reminds you of something even once, then integrity would be a hand-in-the-face moment where you go, oh man, I'm sorry you had to remind me. And then, like we were talking about with timeliness, you would search through everything that contributed to you needing to be reminded of that. Maybe it's a one-off thing. Maybe it's a pattern. Maybe, you know, like, uh, uh, for example, there are probably hundreds of thousands of men around the world who, when they live alone, did all their dishes, but then they move in with a woman and they just sort of unconsciously leave their dishes around because they have some patriarchal notion that that's woman's work and there's a woman around to do it. I would assert that's probably a fact, right? So when the woman says, hey, do your own dishes, there's an opportunity there for that man. The man could say, oh, yeah, she's reminding me to do the dishes. Oh, thanks, honey. Yeah, sure, I'll do that. And that could happen 20 times a year. The meta-supervision conversation would be for the woman to say, when you lived alone, did you just leave dishes around for weeks at a time? (laughs) I'm confused. Because it seems like I'm doing some of your dishes almost every day. Why is that? That would be a meta-supervision conversation. I don't want to have to remind you anymore of this. But even better would be for the man to say, huh, my wife is reminding me about these dishes every once in a while. I wonder what's going on. And to investigate that. And that could lead to a relationship with women in general that could change the course of both of their lives. Because where there's one patriarchal idea of what's women's work, there's going to be a whole lot more, right? Those kinds of things change relationship dynamics. So this is the, th- these are the ways where s- apparently small content things are like strings you pull on sweaters that can make the whole thing unravel. As they say often in coaching, how you do anything is how you do everything. Sometimes. But it's usually worth looking. Yeah, Willie? Those conversations are tough too. So I think you're right that if you let it get to the point where you're having that conversation, you've kind of let it slip because yeah, we're realizing how difficult it is to step up and have that management conversation. So um, I'm thinking of an example 
uh, in our own office where we, we were allowed to bring dogs in. And so one of our employees had a new puppy dog that um, he's very protective of. And uh, so, you know, how puppies can be with older dogs. Older dogs can get annoyed and bark at them and stuff. Even was just a little bark. He was very protective. And so he had mentioned it a couple of times and it, it kind of slipped past me that he really was not appreciating like me bringing my dog in who's older. And he had this young puppy we kind of had to bring into the office because it's a puppy. We couldn't uh-huh. leave it at home. So Cam was like, you know, I think you should talk to him about it. He's, I think he's very frustrated by it. Um, I'm picking up on it. I'm good at picking up on these signals. So I did talk to him about it and it was a great conversation, but I don't know if I, if I hadn't talked about it, I don't think he ever would have brought it up basically. And I could have yeah. kept bringing it in just and it would have gone over my head. So yeah. sometimes you really do have to, to step in yeah. and have the conversation. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And you named something really important and that is hard conversations are hard. And this is another reason why, probably the second reason why people prefer or um, in action choose supervision over management. Because nagging is relatively comfortable, even though we all say we don't like it. Saying, hey, don't forget about that, blah, blah, blah. It's really quick. You have the vocabulary for it. It's not really emotionally uncomfortable. There's an agreement in our society. Someone forgets something, you can remind them and they go, oh, yeah, thanks. That's how it works, right? But to sit them down and say, you know what? I've noticed I've had to remind you about this a number of times and I bet you that's annoying to you, isn't it? I'm not liking it either. That's way more difficult. Even just that component, right? That's emotionally awkward. That's confrontative. That's way different than the reminder. Way more uncomfortable. So now we have the immediate gratification comfort thing that is an issue, right? We have that as well because we avoid what's uncomfortable. So management is more difficult for a while until you get really, I think of it like um, uh, white bread, uh, white, white flour and white sugar. If you go off of it for a while, when you go back to it, it tastes disgusting. White sugar tastes hot and draining to me. And white flour is unnaturally chewy. But you won't experience that unless you take a long break from it. <laughs> you know, and then you also when you feel what it does to you, it goes into like a shot of adrenaline and makes you kind of spun out and then you crash. But if you're constantly on sugar, you're not going to notice that. So I'm inviting you, like white sugar and, and white flour, to have a healthy disgust for supervision. When you have a healthy disgust for it and you go, ugh, I just don't want to remind this person anymore, that will help you to be willing to have the uncomfortable management conversation. So I defined um, supervision before. It would be uh, rigorous of me to define management. Uh, There's different ways to define it. I'll say a few things about it, but I wrote in one article, supporting people to grow and learn in ways they don't already know. So putting people to grow and learn in ways they don't already know, whereas supervision is supporting them in ways they already know. Hey, don't forget that thing I told you about. Oh, yeah, thanks. I'm going through a, an experiment with a lifelong friend of mine right now. Uh-huh. So we've been friends from age 15, and we're competitive. We play basketball together. And we've been working out together for six months. And when I say working out together for six months, he shows up roughly 40% of the time Oof. for the agreed-upon time. So it's improved to almost almost sixty percent, maybe like coin flip till show. And <laughs> and I and I used to nag him about it. And then I got kind of you know pissy. I would like text him my workout, like, "Hey, 
here are my reps for the day. All supervision. Very good. About, yeah. Yeah. And then about three months ago, I'm like, you know, I'm just not going to say anything for a while and see what happens. So the same thing would happen and he would apologize. And I'd be like, oh, yeah. And he's like, well, were you here? I'm like, yep, I was here. And then I would perform better than him because he is missing workouts. Sure. And he's naturally strong. He's taller than me. He's stronger. He's naturally more gifted than I am. And he noticed, he's like, man, you're, you're doing really well. And I was like, oh, thanks for noticing. Yeah. So like, yeah, you know, I'm going to be here on Friday. I'm like, oh, okay. And then he wouldn't show up on Friday. And then I would outlift him again on mm-hmm. Monday. So this was about two weeks ago. I was, I was like, hey, Sean, you know, you're naturally much stronger and more athletic than I am. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Isn't it odd that I'm outlifting you lately? What do you think? What do you think's up with that? He's like, huh. I I could show up and lift. I'm like, yeah, that that could be an option. Like, if you go to the gym, you tend to get stronger. Yeah, how about that? And, <laughs> you know, and he, you know, he's still roughly in the 60 percentile, but I'm optimistic that from a long term standpoint, he'll be more engaged. Like, it might take a while. This is a lifelong pattern. Okay. You know? Yeah. Um, and now I'm glad, I'm glad you brought this up because you're talking about a peer relationship, in which case. Yeah. You're doing what's what I would call notices and nudge nudges, which are from um, in the of course the accountability path, first stages, yeah. first two stages of accountability, and with and this is an important distinction. I've been so far talking about accountability on an authority gradient, mother son, manager employee. Um, it's not appropriate usually for a peer to hold another peer accountable in the way I've been talking about. It's way more appropriate to use as notices and nudges like, hey, this is what I did. And did you notice I'm stronger than you, even though you're naturally probably stronger than I am? Those are great techniques to try to wake someone up in a peer relationship. Because you don't have the agreement of the relationship. You don't have jurisdiction, you would say, to have that situation with them. But sometimes you do do it with a friend friend who crosses a certain line, you know, like... uh, dates your ex-wife um you know three weeks after your divorce is final which happened to me once um (laughs) uh you know sometimes you might elevate it to that kind of thing but it's yeah it's a different you have to feel your way through that would you you ever get to the talk oh well i well the uh the format i'm using uh right now because i know there's been different versions of it the uh, the notice, the nudge, the conversation, the carefrontation, and the line. Okay. So uh, would you get to the, the conversation? With friends? Would with you peers? Go with a peer? You wouldn't do the carefrontation, would you? Oh, oh no. I've fired friends. <laughs> I'll go all the way. Uh, I mean, it just depends. It's like it, you, the way you do it is differently. But what you're saying in a friend accountability with a peer is coming is with a with an employee. You're saying the business, the job isn't getting its needs met. With a peer, you're saying I'm not getting my needs met. Um, so I used to I have directly confronted. I mean, you know, in that case, uh, I drew a line and said I've tr- I tried here, but I can't be friends with you while you're dating my ex wife. It just doesn't work for me. That's a line. You know, most people would argue a reasonable one. And mostly now I don't let it get to that point where I need to. I just, you know, like if I see someone is incapable of keeping their word, 
uh, I look for that kind of stuff early on and I don't develop a friendship with them because I eliminate them, you know, beforehand. But uh, in dating, you know, breakups, you know, I mean, that, that, that kind of thing. But it's coming from, again, it's coming from a, I have a need, a reasonable, you're asserting as a reasonable, healthy, emotional or mental or physical this, need. This notion, this notion that you're talking about kind of goes along with what I've asked you to talk about on Tuesday. Oh, yeah? What was um, that again? I... No, if you think about it, is is that as you evolve as a person, you know, um, people move in and out. And so, as you just said, it, you know, having the capability of actually firing your friends sometimes and saying, I'm just not, it's not working for me. So, that yeah. kind of moves into that as well. Pretty interesting. Yeah. I never thought about it that way. Yeah. And um, at the risk of dropping a bomb in very short amount of minutes here, um, where this challenges most people is runs right into the conscious or unconscious notion of unconditional love, which is a very popular idea. And that's the idea that when you're in relationship with someone and you love them, that, well, it should be unconditional. And this is one of the most... Boy, can I treat this in six minutes? You cannot. <laughs> that was assertive. <laughs> so you, you call bullshit on this, I can tell. On this, yeah, on let me say it this way. Listen carefully. This is going to be okay. an hour's worth of metaphysics in five minutes. Cool. We live in a world of conditions. I have emotional needs. We make agreements. It's warm in the sunshine. It's cold when you're wet. These are conditions. The idea of unconditional love has no basis in the reality of conditions. Where it comes from, because if you think for a moment, like, I want to be loved no matter what. Okay, well, what if you became a serial killer? Do you expect your spouse to stay with you then? But accept me for the way I am, right? Boom, gone, right? So I've destroyed that idea. It's really easy. Now, you may still love that serial killer, but you're not going to spend time with him anymore, are you? <laughs> right? Because you've lost some respect. There may be some part of you that's like loves who they used to be or can find the kernel of them that's still there. But a person can do any number of things that will end your desire to want to spend time with them, that will end the transactability of the love that you have for them. Right? This is easy to argue. It's so obvious. I don't know why people don't see it. So where then does the desire for unconditional love come from? Well, your parents are supposed to unconditionally love you. That's what a parent is supposed to do when you're really tiny. No matter what you do, there's just a porous, open-hearted acceptance. But when we don't get that to some degree, even if it's small, that reasonable, healthy, dependent need as a child becomes as an adult an unhealthy codependent need. That's what happens. Confused further by a concept that I would call universal love. And that is that in one frequency of reality, we are all one. We are all connected. We are all brothers and sisters. And we all have this kind of urge to merge, this desire to be connected in that way. So we have a hunger, two hungers, one for the unconditional acceptance we didn't get as a kid, to whatever degree that was, and this, that's an a, a emotional, personal one, and then an existential, spiritual hunger 
to be connected to the whole because in one way we are, but we're, we've fallen from that. Choose your paradigm, Christianity, Islam, Buddhism. They all have different explanations for how and why that is. Hinduism, Christianity, whatever. They all have an explanation for that. Even biologically, our molecules are intermingled with everything else, right? Even, and even science would, could, could say we're connected. So between those two hungers, we misinterpret them and think, and want people to accept us for however we show up, which is an anathema to accountability. How can there be accountability <clears throat> if someone could at any moment cry, well, just accept me for who I am? I do accept you for who you're being, but you don't get to keep the job. <laughs> you don't get to stay my husband or wife. There are consequences. We live in a world of cause and effect, conditions. Is there a realm of reality that is accessible by human beings where everything is perfect exactly as is? Yes, there is. I can even show you how to access it if you'd like. It's real. So is this one. They're both real. But modern spiritualists want to cast out the realm of duality and say, oh, well, this is just all illusion. And that other place where all is one and everything is perfect, that's where I want to live. Well, guess what? You just made a duality because now the the oneness place is better than here and they're separate. I thought everything was one. Doesn't that include this? Uh, 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 yeah, exactly. Mature spirituality accepts that there's a realm of conditions where cause and effect happens, and it's okay to not accept a behavior. And there's a realm in which everything is perfect and going according to plan. For example, Donald Trump is not qualified to be president. And it's perfect that he's president. Both are true. Now, how do you work that out? Take your time with it. Right? We don't know what's going to happen. He may be setting up the country for a president who's more progressive than we've ever seen. He may, by, by driving the country into the ground, wake up all of his supporters to a more objective reality. Who knows? He may cause an economic collapse that, you know, undoes the bailouts and creates financial reform. Who knows? Who knows? How do we know he should be president? Because he is. How do we know it should be raining? Because it is, right? And in another way, you could make a very compelling case that he shouldn't be president. And both are true. Now, that's an and that most people can't live with, that both are true. It's a kind of paradox. Your assignment is, maybe some of you already thought of this, make a list of all the ways in which you are being supervised in your life. In your work and your life, where do you not have total self-reliance, total agency, total management of yourself? Where are you leaning on someone else? Because until you completely handle that, you're going to not see where you're supervising other people. Because if you want to be able to see where, where you're supervising rather than managing people, the first step is always in, stop, in stopping the need to be supervised yourself so that you're being managed, not supervised. Where do people remind you of stuff? 
Where are you dropping balls? Where are you still sometimes late? Where are you not holding some of your responsibilities? And if you have a manager or a coach, awesome, or even a friend, ask them, where do you feel like I'm dropping balls? Where do you feel like I don't fully own our relationship, our, my responsibilities in this business, whatever? Tell me. I want to know. Where do you feel like... And if you have a manager, you could frame it more like, where can you not relax about the pieces of the job that I have? Because chances are they've, that's on their mind. And being a human being, they're avoiding having that conversation with you. So if you start it, I mean, imagine if your employee came to you and said, boss, will you tell me where you're having to supervise me and remind me of stuff? Because I don't want to do that anymore. Wouldn't that instantly raise your respect of them? So why not do it? So when I sent that question out, uh, there's lists of questions um, on uh, the second out to everyone about uh, questions I wish people would ask me. You probably could imagine that I'm looking very carefully to see who will actually ask me them. Surprisingly, it hasn't been everyone. All right, any last questions? So a spouse would be a good person to ask that question too. Mm-hmm. Do you think it would be more productive to, to, to think about what she might answer first and then ask her after I've done some thought? Beautifully said, even more responsible. Yeah. That's a really cool thing to do in couples in general is to have a bunch of questions about what you think the person would say and then you answer them first, like in writing, and then see what they say. There's some couples therapy type... Uh, modalities that use that kind of technique yeah that's fruitful very brave thing to do peter thanks for listening to manage to engage the clear and open podcast join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be until then know that clear and open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do if you want to help the show grow I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com slash review, and it will bring you to the right place. If you're looking for more support on your journey, head over to clearandopen.com for even more tools, articles, and free resources. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.